don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. My clients have the hardest time picking artwork. They get so frustrated. They feel so intimidated, so lost. I get so much feedback that artwork is the most difficult thing for my clients to not only find, but to find that connection with. Today, I am here in our podcast studio with Monica Schulman. She is a local artist here in the Lower Hudson Valley, but she was also an artist in New York City before this, and that's how I actually got to know her. It's a very funny story, and I cannot wait to tell you more. I'm Betsy Helmuth. This is Big Design, Small Budget, and welcome, Monica. Hi, Betsy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am excited to have you. Why don't you tell the story of how we met? It's actually, it is really funny. We worked together a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago now, when you found me on Etsy. At the time, I was selling small format work on my, in my Etsy shop. And you approached me, you sent a lot of clients my way, and we worked together quite a bit for a few years. Fast forward, after we both had children, moved to the suburbs here in Lower uh, Westchester, and I see your name on an invitation list for a block party, and... Here we are. We moved to the same street in the same small, tiny town, and the rest is hopefully going to be a great history. Yeah, within the same six-month period. It was so funny, and I had only seen her once when she dropped off a tube of her artwork. So when we finally did connect after that block party, it was uh, it was really funny to actually meet you. That's right. Uh, but now I'm so excited that we have you here today because we need insider art info. My clients feel lost. Tell me first, before we dive in, how you became an artist. I've always had a passion for art. I started painting when I was very young. I was in high school. I used to hang out at my local art studio and in Long Island. And I loved painting and I loved photography. My father is actually an amateur photographer and he taught me how to develop pictures just in the basement of our house. My mother collects art. We've always been going to museums. I grew up uh, visiting my family in Argentina and my grandmother is an artist and my grandfather was a woodworker. So I was around it a lot as a child. And my parents really sort of fostered that in me because they knew that I had this very strong passion for it. And a lot of stuff sort of happened in between. I went to college. I still sort of played around with art and making art. Then I ended up in law school. And then I was looking for a creative outlet. And I turned to digital photography, which at the time was really just starting to become considered as an art form. And people were starting to move a little bit away from film, which I, I still personally love film. Um, and I went back to painting recently. And I realized that that's really just such a passion of mine. And I was sort of suppressing that part of my creativity. And I'm so happy to be able to do it again. So basically, I've been making art my entire life and just recently found it again in different forms. And so tell us a little bit more just about your life in general. I had a quick question, even though this is totally off topic. How did you, as somebody who is an art lover, so intensely into art, such a background in art, such a family of art appreciators, wind up in law school? That is a million-dollar question. So many people ask me that. I'm not sure. I think I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I graduated from college. I 
I studied French language and political science, which I love because I, I love um, history and I and I and I love like starting about government in different countries and I love languages. Um, so I kind of started to go down this path after college, and I ended up at a pretty big law firm and. The people really uh, supported me there in terms of my studies. So I went to school and I ended up going back there for a few years. So the the two sides of my brain are constantly fighting. But actually, my legal background helps a lot uh, with my with my art business um, or the business side of my art making because now I just consider myself an artist. And that's really where my passion lies. And that's really what I just love, love to do, what I need to do, what I'm called to do. Um, but that other side of me really helps me a lot with, with the business aspect of my, of my, um, of my art and my photography. Like which parts? Like trademarks or contracts or protecting your work or? A little bit of everything. Um, just dealing with clients and talking to customers, uh, dealing with everybody from, you know, like I recently rebranded my website and, you know, doing my own contract with the, this amazing designer who I worked with, with my developer, with potential clients. I've licensed my work quite a bit over the last few years. So negotiating my own licensing contracts. So, you know, just like in all aspects, really, if you're, you know, there's art as much as it is a passion and it's a creative business, you have to, or rather it's a, it's a creative endeavor. You have to also look at it oftentimes as a business, which is hard because I just want to like make art and I want people to buy it and I want people to look at it and love it and enjoy it as much as I do um, and have it in their home. And I, I want my art to speak to them. That's like my main goal as an artist that you want people to feel something when they're looking at your artwork. But at the end of the day, like how is any of that going to happen unless somebody buys it from you or unless you put yourself out there and, you know, there it, there is a business component to it. Right. And I, I think that's an element that's oftentimes missing not only from artists, but also art schools as somebody who also graduated with an art degree, uh, but is not currently using it in the uh, applied way, um, the painterly way that I went to school for. Uh, I just think it's really interesting to have both sides. But let's get down to my clients' questions. Let's segue because art is really the biggest stumbling block for my clients. They are terrified. They're scared for me to pick their art. They're scared for them to pick their art. They feel like they'd rather have blank walls that art that doesn't resonate with them. So they have blank walls. Uh, so what should someone look for when they're choosing art for their home? There's so many things, Betsy. And honestly, I think it's so personal. Art is so subjective. I can look at a piece or I can make a piece and it will mean so much to me and I love it. And then somebody else looks at it and they're like, meh, you know, that's okay. Or I'll make something else and, you know, maybe I'm not even thinking about what it's going to become and and somebody just like has to have it. I think the most important thing is to think about when you're purchasing art or when you're thinking about purchasing art is just to think about the way that it makes you feel. Does it bring you joy? Does it make you, you know, do you, do you want to like live in that moment? Do you, can you, does it, does it resonate with you? Just like you said, and that can mean different things to different people. It doesn't have to, you know, if, if you're looking at something and it, and it doesn't call your attention right away and you don't have this, like, I must have this in my home feeling, maybe it's not right for you. And I think that, you know, that, as I said, that could mean so many different things to different people. So do you people. feel like you have to have that love at first sight art moment in order to buy a piece? Well, I think that's probably what makes it so difficult for people because some of us are very indecisive. Like I myself am very indecisive. I've, I've 
I have art that I've purchased as a buyer and as an somebody who appreciates art. And usually it's because if I have it in my home, it's because when I saw it, I just needed to have it. Um, but over the years, like my tastes have really evolved and maybe I'll move it to a different wall or I'll, my husband and I will put it away for a while and then we'll bring it back out. I think it definitely in the, in the first instance has to speak to you for you to want to have it hanging up on your wall to see it every day. But also at the same time, I think that it's okay if that feeling changes and then maybe comes back. I think it doesn't have to be so complicated. I think that you just have to go with your gut feeling. And it doesn't have to be always looked at as like this um, this huge decision. So it's not a commitment. It's that impulsive, exciting moment. But you don't have to love it forever or feel like you're going to have to have it forever. Well, I always have purchased art knowing that I felt like I wanted to have it forever. But again, like your your taste can change and that's okay too. You don't have to – like me personally, and, I'll, and I, I say this to clients all the time, you know, you have to do what feels right for you. I think that, as I said before, like something that I absolutely love and adore and doesn't have to be my own art. It can be something else that I'm that I'm looking at could could really speak to me and somebody else will look at it and not know what I'm talking about because they don't see it the same way that I see it and vice versa. I just think that you have to allow yourself, you know, the ability to look at something, to enjoy it and to know, okay, this is what I, I want to have this in my home. I want to look at it. I want to, I want to live with it. I want to experience it. It's going to add so much joy to my life, to my space. Um, but then be okay with it if maybe that changes in a few years or a few weeks or a few months. You know, I mean, I, I'm not purchasing art thinking or I'm not trying to sell my art thinking that somebody is not going to like it, you know, in in the near future or in the distant future. I'm looking at it as I made this. I'm putting it out into the world. I hope you love it as much as I do. I hope it brings you as much joy as it brings me. And if it does, then, you know. You should buy it. Buy it and have it in your home or, or, or wherever you want to hang it. Yeah. Well, and I think – so I think one of the big barriers to entry for my clients for art is a price point. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to value art. They don't know if it's expensive or affordable. They see a price point and they're just not sure if it's high or low or reasonable. What guidelines would you give? This is such a tough question because honestly, pricing art for me is like one of the hardest things that I have to think about. It depends on a few different things. So for example, who are you buying it from? Are you purchasing it from a gallery? Are you purchasing it from an artist? Who the value that an artist puts on their work is not that that's one thing that's not going to be subjective if somebody's pricing their art fairly i think that you know you, there are so many different factors the market will also dictate what kind you know who's how much a piece is is worth if the artist is an emerging artist or an established artist got it and so uh i have a big rule I was a little bit bossy for a while. I, I still am a little bit bossy, Monica. That's okay. Um, Band people, bossy. You're a leader. Yeah. People call me nice bossy, and I am totally cool with that. <laughs> I am nice bossy. I'll wrap up my bossiness in a cute little bow. But I was a little bit bossy in my book about artwork. Mm-hmm. I said that never, ever, ever should you get a print of a painting. 
Okay. Because a painting is a 3D experience. Mm -hmm. It has, you know, paint that comes off the canvas. Part of the joy of looking at a painting is you can see the brush strokes because there's that visceral motion with the texture of the acrylics or the oils. Even with a watercolor, there's the ripple of the paper that just can't be replicated when you copy it. But with a photograph, I'm much more lenient. That's a 2D production. Um, that's something that is made to be meant reproduced, excuse me, and printed. I have since gotten really soft on this. Mm-hmm. Now I actually have been recommending printed paintings for my clients. What do you think? So I personally have not made any prints of my paintings yet. I don't have anything against it. I would love to actually, I'm actually exploring that option for my clients or potential clients. I think that it's a great idea because it actually makes the art more affordable and you can, and more people can enjoy it. So if you have this amazing painting that people love, why not make a print of it? Some people do a limited run. My photos actually, I sell my pictures in limited editions. So that drives the price up a little bit more. But a collector or somebody who's buying a piece of art and you're spending money on it, it has it sort of makes it extra special and more exclusive if you're if you're purchasing a print that's not just going to run, you know, thousands of copies. Um, but there's a place for that too. And and you know, if you're looking to make sort of a smaller commitment in terms of a price point, then printed posters, for example, of original artworks are beautiful. I mean, especially if they're made well and they're made. There's so many different paper stock options, and there's so many different. Um, printers that you can work with, or there's so many different avenues to buy that. Like, you know, you can go anywhere online right now. I love, for example, like One King's Lane. They have a beautiful art collection. Even like Target, Crate and Barrel, all these sites they have. Even on, I mean, there's a ton of art on Amazon too. And people sell really? their work. I've never been to Amazon for art. There is a lot of art on Amazon. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you heard it here first. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I've never looked there and I shop online constantly. But I think I was so judgmental about prints of paintings because, you know, five, seven years ago, there just wasn't a good selection. Mm -hmm. Like they all looked craptastic. Mm -hmm. And now, like you're saying, these different venues, even Target, Mm -hmm. have really interesting options, have curated looks that are really feel unique even though they're being mass produced. So I think people want to have beautiful things in their home. I think like with the rise of design blogs and Instagram, I mean, I look at Instagram as one of my biggest points of inspiration. I love looking at the photography on Instagram. I love following designers on Instagram and other artists um, and seeing how many different things are out there and how much you could actually do. And it, it, you know, it really inspires me in my own work. I'm thinking, well, maybe I should try this and maybe I should try that. And, and I, when I was, when I was relaunching my website and I was, I was um, redesigning it with someone, I thought a lot, I did a lot of research about, you know, my ideal customer and who who would I who is like my dream client who I would want to have my work hanging in their home or in their space and I started to look at all of these different places where where you know there were other inspiring artists on there I don't have anything against buying something that it perhaps is at a lower price point it doesn't make it any less beautiful and it actually for a potential client it it actually um, opens so many doors because 
maybe they see your work and they think, oh, I, I, I just love this person's work. I want to maybe buy an original piece from that from that artist. Well, I'm really surprised that you're totally on board with these prints of paintings. And you've kind of opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, I used to think it was just sort of a bastardization of that person's work. I'm just going to say it. I, I definitely got up on my bossy high horse. I was like, that is just, you know, such a ripoff. But to have an artist so clearly embrace it in a way that really is so inclusive is really the spirit of affordable interior design. And so I'm going to get off my high horse. And on that note, we're going to cut to a commercial and we'll be right back with more from Monica. Have you always wanted to work with an interior designer, but just weren't sure you could afford it? Also, you weren't sure how to go about it. Well, you can work with affordable interior design. Whether you're in the New York area or in Australia, we can help you with your design dilemmas with our all new virtual transformation package. This package is a two hour experience with one of our pros. You will get an entire room transformed. All you have to do is send in pictures and measurements of the space you'd like to work on. Then our designer spends the first hour on the phone with you determining the perfect layout for that room. The second hour is spent online shopping together. Virtually, you will be scouring the internet looking for those perfect items that will give you that designer look and all the pieces we find for you will fit within your budget. At the end of the call, you get a computerized floor plan and you get that click and buy shopping list so that you can go out and decorate your space with confidence. That total package is $3.95. Don't wait. Write us today at info at affordableinteriordesign.com to sign up for your transformation. Check out more information at affordableinteriordesign.com and we can't wait to work with you. Welcome back. Before we transition to photography, which my clients are really into, it's the one art form they do not seem to have any fear about, uh, you wanted to say one more thing about the paintings. I did. I just wanted to add that, you know, when when I'm making my art, I'm not looking at it as a way of like, how many people can buy this piece? I just, you know, I want to make it and I want people to enjoy it. With respect to the prints, I think there's, like I said before, you can make, things are made so beautifully. Um, you you want to preserve sort of the authenticity of the piece. Um, and, you know, mass production is what it is. I think that if it's done the right way, it could actually be quite beautiful. And that's sort of why I like to do a limited run of my photographs um, in limited edition because it does, as I said, make it more exclusive. And and why not do that for art prints too? Like I'm still sort of exploring it. I want to see if it's something that that I'll actually do. But there's so many beautiful ways of doing it. And you know, we were talking earlier about about when you go to a museum and, and appreciating art. Like you can go to the Met or MoMA now in New York and buy a poster of like a Rothko or a Kandinsky and it's beautiful. You see a piece hanging in a museum. I really hate those. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I really hate it. I really hate it that it says the Met Museum. I really hate those. Well, you know, sometimes they have beautiful shows. Yeah. And people want to ha – they, they go to the show. They see it. They want to have it hanging in their home. It's not something that, is, that I would necessarily hang up on my wall now. But there is definitely value to it. Um, it's bringing something that's in the world that means something to you. Enough that you're going to buy a poster of it in a museum. You know, it's a memory for some people. Well, and I will tell you, there's a little story that many years ago, I was I was very 
broke in New York City. It's easy to be broke in New York City because everything is so expensive. <laughs> but I was also a massive art lover. So I went to this show. Oh my goodness, I'm forgetting his name. Oh gosh, I can't remember. I went to this show because, you know, it was an art show and I really wanted to go. And he's really great and I can't remember his name. And I was walking through the gallery and I was really taking it all in. And a lot of his stuff didn't resonate with me. He was just really important. So I wanted to be there. But one piece like blew me away. So he had all these pictures. I think it was Paul Breton. or uh, No, I don't know. But he has all these paintings of exposed light bulbs and, you know, nooses and things like that. And it wasn't totally my cup of tea, but there was this one black and white, like uh, just a gouache. And I couldn't get it out of my head. I couldn't stop looking at it. And it wasn't even big. It was like two feet by two feet. And all of his other works were much larger and much more vibrant. This was just a black and white gouache quick thing. And I was haunted. I was so haunted that I went to Barnes and Noble because I couldn't I couldn't get this image out of my head and I had to have it. And of course I had my bossy Betsy elitist attitude <laughs> that I should, you know, whatever. Um, I should only own the original and good luck with that. So I took the page from the Barnes and Noble book. Of course I bought the book and I framed the page. So how is that different? And you know, every time I walk by it, because I kind of consider it my little lucky charm, mm -hmm. I have a very strong connection to this piece. Uh, every time I walk by it, it brings up all those feelings. But you know what it also brings up for me? It brings up the journey of not being able to mm -hmm. afford it. And it brings up that journey of having this, you know, connection despite not being able to have the one. And if I couldn't look at it all the time, it was really going to be rough on me. Well, that's sort of what it's all about for me as an artist is, does your piece create a moment? Does it spark a memory in someone's head? Like for me, when I, for example, like when I take a picture, a photograph is, is very different in a painting in the sense that you're capturing an actual moment that happened. That means something to me. But when someone looks at it, does it mean something to them? Does it, does it remind them of something? You know, does it make them, does it make you feel something inside? And clearly you had a very visceral reaction to a very specific piece of art. You had to have it. You needed to have it. What more can an artist really ask for than for someone to love their work so much? Well, he probably could have asked for me to pay $2 million for it <laughs> besides that. But but really, like fundamentally, you know, you, you want people to feel things when, you, when they look at your work. Even if it's something that they don't like, even if it's a bad reaction to it, it's still a evoking a feeling in person like you saw this one piece by this artist and you absolutely loved it you had to have it in some way even if it meant ripping it out of a book because you know you weren't going to buy it from the from from the gift shop but well no no no, they didn't have it in the gift oh they shop. didn't have it well no, no no this was a minor work i would have totally bought that poster but but, but yeah. there was uh, there were other pieces in the show that you didn't really care for and, and that's okay too, you know, because like at the end of the day, artists are making art for people to see, but also for themselves. I mean, when I'm making something, I have to do it. I don't. But you just mentioned that, that you're really fine with people hating your work. Like that's a better reaction than feeling meh. Like I do because I feel like at least they're feeling something, right? Like, I mean, of course I don't want people to not like my work. I want people to love my work. I want people to look at it and love it and and, and want to have it and and feel something when they look at it. But 
you know, it's everybody, everybody likes what they like. Well, there's a lot of art at Pier 1 that I hate. So those artists oh. are feeling really good about themselves. Yeah, I, don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really care for art at Pier 1 either. But, you know. They I'm, have like three things I like. And I do use them over and over. But they have about 63 things I can't deal with. I like the candles there. And I'm not even a big candle person. Mm. Yeah, I do. I like I like their pillows. Oh, the pillows are nice. I too. have a game changing pillow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go for the pillows. Maybe not so much for the art. Yeah, uh, the mirrors, good quality, okay. interesting shapes. All right. So you had just mentioned that you know you, the photography side of you and the painting side of you, and you talked about the difference. My clients are much more open to using photography. What tips would you give them when shopping for photography for their space? I would sort of give the same tips that I would give when shopping for art for their space. I think it depends on the photo and I think it depends on the person. So my work is, when I first started on Etsy, we were saying before, my small format prints were all sold and they still are in open editions, although I'm not really doing much of that anymore. But my large format work, I always sold in limited editions. I worked very early on with an art dealer who I still work with on occasion and I learned a lot from them in terms of art and creating art and and especially the photography prints. It makes it much more exclusive for your potential customers and also for the work itself. I think that, um, you know, if you don't, if you have like a special piece and you're not gonna make like a million copies of it, you, you make an addition. My additions run anywhere from like 50 to 10 to five, depending on the size of a piece. I mean, like the physical size of, of, a, of an actual photograph. And I think that, you know, when you're shopping for it, you should, similar to any art, you have to have a reaction to it. And also what you look for is what you like. You know, do you like landscapes? Do you like cityscapes? Do you like black and white? Are you more drawn to color? What do you find was the most popular of your, because you have a wide range from people to landscapes to... It's funny because I have maybe five prints that are my most popular for the last, like, five or six years, and they are all so different from each other. Um, I have a few cityscapes from New York, but one in particular that I'm actually looking at in your office right now that you mentioned um, to me earlier today that you've sold a bunch of times, and I know you have, and, and I and I just, I love that. Um, and it was like a total accident when I took the picture, and I love that. I love happy accidents, um, both in my paintings and in my, in my photographs. Um, and then I have a few landscapes. I spend a lot of time um, in the Hamptons with my husband, and we sort of fell in love out there. And And I have a lot of landscapes from, from the area, and people are really drawn to those too. And then I have several black and white pictures that I've taken really all over the place, but specifically in New York, that people just love. And, and I love them, and I love that they love them. Um, and I think, so I think it really just depends on, on what a person is drawn to. Usually when I'm working with a new client, they'll tell me what they're looking for. And I have like a really big archive. So I'm, I'm usually, I usually have something, um, just from, from my years of shooting that, that, that might speak to them. And if not, you know, I guess that's okay too. I I know I I much prefer that people want to buy my work, but maybe they're looking for something else. Yeah, and so the problem that I find with photography is that then you have to frame it. Mm-hmm. So do you have any affordable options for framing? So I look at framing this way for photography as well as the paintings. You you know, you're buying a piece, you're making an investment in a piece of art, whether it's a huge investment or a smaller investment. 
I always look at it as like if you're wearing a as a woman, if you're wearing a beautiful dress and you're like you're wearing like bad shoes or like old ripped up shoes, you want to buy a frame that will do the piece justice, especially for photographs, because for photographs, you you should definitely have a piece behind glass or something that's protecting the the print itself. You want to protect the integrity of the print. You don't want it to get damaged. And a lot of times also you want to be able to buy uh, glass that has UV protection because it will fade over time. But there are so many options right now for for frames. And while I, I always love the custom route because I think that you just have more, more control and there are so many different options if you decide to go custom, metal frames, wood frames, big, small, flat, matte, no matte. There are so many great options out there. Like IKEA frames are amazing. IKEA puts out amazing, wonderful frames, and they're very good quality. They don't look cheap, and maybe, and they don't really feel cheap either. But when you, more importantly, when you're seeing it hanging on the wall, like I don't, most people aren't like going up to your frames and seeing whether they're whether they're you know good or not. But um, also, I love the frames at West Elm. CB2 has incredible frames. CB2 also has great art, by the way. Um, and I, I just, I just love, love those frames. And recently I did some work with Framebridge online and Framebridge has just, I mean, incredible quality. I, I sent out a few pieces just as a test run for myself and for a few clients and they just did beautiful work. Um, and they have great options too. So yeah, I just did a test with Framebridge because uh, they reached out to me and said they would give my podcast listeners a discount. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, before I offer a discount, I want to make sure that I really right. like the quality that I vouch for. You know, as a former artist, I have high standards. So I just had a piece framed there and it was so great. You know, I think the choices of mats were a little bit limiting because mm-hmm. I'm a person who likes to have selection. I like to really customize it if I'm mm-hmm. going to do a custom frame. I always prefer that too, but if you know, if you want to keep your price point a little bit down. That's right. And the quality was great and it was like no fuss no muss. They sent they me make the it tube. so easy oh for my you. Gosh. I'm like going to frame everything. Yeah. They, they make sent it me the so tube. Easy. I like handed it to my postman. It came back 3 weeks later. It was completely gorgeous. So anyway, guys, if you're thinking about using Framebridge, they gave me a very generous discount code that I can share with all my listeners. Use the promo code BIGDESIGN to get 15% off your entire order every time you order. And I know like uh, Monica, you will become an addict on Framebridge as well. It is so fun. And their website is really fun to use because you can upload your image and see all the different frames and really try things out. That's really a great option if you're like me and you could be terribly indecisive because I tend to overthink things all the time. And, you know, you you do. You want to pick the perfect frame for this piece that you suddenly couldn't live without. So it's, it's, it's great. Framebridge is amazing. Yeah. Well, I am so glad that you joined us. Monica, where can they find you? They all want to buy your art. They want to look at your art. They want to know you. They want to come to your block party. Tell us more. (laughs) (laughs) You can all come to our block party this summer. You can find me at monicashulman.com. It's my new website. You can find my original paintings, and maybe one day you can find my prints there, and my photographs, and I have a blog, a lifestyle blog, and That's basically where you'll find me. Would you spell that for them? I'm going to include it in the show notes as well. But for those of you driving or doing dishes, Monica, would you spell your... Sure. It's M-O-N-I-C-A-S-H-U-L-M-A-N.com. Wonderful. Well, it was so great having you here. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for your insider tips. Thanks for your amazing art. Because it has been a joy to my clients. It's still a joy to me. It's all over my storefront. I can't get enough. 
Thank you so much, Betsy. You know, I really love working with you. So I'm excited to see what we can do next. Me too. Me too. Well, until next time, guys, a big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. Even better, become a premium member. Yes, you can become a premium member of Big Design Small Budgets podcast by going to bigdesignsmallbudget.com. Not only do premium members get access to our archives of over 100 episodes, you also get our bonus episodes, which give you a sneak peek into my world as an interior designer. Every week, I share a new vignette, a new anecdote, new tips, all in that bonus series. You won't want to miss it. To become a premium member, go to bigdesignsmallbudget.com. It's $3.99 per month or $39.99 for a year's membership, and you're going to love it. I guarantee it. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.